on uh, cry if I want to. I think many of us know. I'm not going to do a show of hands because it doesn't make sense in this format. But many of us know this is a song. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. Um, a song that was released. It was released before I was born. Okay, this isn't the, this. This wasn't a contemporary song of mine. But the song is very interesting because it talks about how when it's my birthday party, if I want to act like a baby, if I want to be childish. Then I can cry if I want to because this is my party. Well, in Psalm 70 and in the gospel, that sentiment is partly true, but it's really not because it's our party, but it's because it's Jesus' name. It's his name, it's his righteousness, it's the type of covenant that he established for us with our relationship with God that enables us to cry if I want to. We don't always have to be so mature and so disciplined. Being theologically and biblically correct when we go through a crisis, thinking about Romans 5 and James 1. But instead, there is room because of what Jesus has done that we can cry if we want to, so to speak. So let me pray for us one more time and then we will jump right into Psalm 70. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the diversity of your word. It is truly just so far ranging. It touches upon so many different emotional experiences that all of us have gone through or are currently going through. And we thank you that despite the complexities of our human life, of our own emotions, all of that has been subsumed and fulfilled and empathized by your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his work. Thank you that he died on that cross for us so that we can have a direct relationship with you. Thank you that he resurrected so no longer do we live by our own righteousness or by our own strength, but we live by the righteousness of his spirit. It's his spirit that motivates us, that longs for your word, that longs to be reminded of the gospel, that longs to give you the worship and exaltation that you alone deserve, even if it costs, costs us pain. So thank you for his great work. We pray that all these realities would be that much more of a conviction in our hearts as we study, as we reflect upon, as we allow your spirit to sear Psalm 70 into our hearts. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So like I mentioned, this psalm is very real. It's really David is crying if he wants to, all because of this loving and gracious relationship that he has with God. It's only five verses, so let me just first read it in its entirety. And whenever you read the psalms, you definitely want to make note of how it begins and how it ends. Because a lot of Psalms, they start and end the exact same way. And the, the beginning and the ending will indicate what is the actual purpose of this particular Psalm. So let's take a look at this. Psalm 70 is beginning with verse 1. Note, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Again, David is not creating any kind of pretensions. He's saying, please, just get me out of this mess now. Forget Romans 5. Forget James 1. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I... I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, 
do not delay. Again, a very short psalm, and as I've in indicated in red, immediately we see how the psalm begins and ends the same way, and we're going to unpack all of this. Uh, there's really just three points that I really want to emphasize in how we can cope with difficult seasons where we know our stressful, and it always feels like these seasons last longer than we expect or we prefer. Um, and right off the bat, we see the first point is David prays a very honest prayer. He prays the same way. He begins the same way that he ends. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And then he ends the same way. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And the reason why I really want to emphasize the, these verses is not only because it's the beginning and end of the psalm, like I mentioned, that often indicates the purpose of the psalm, but this is very contrary to what we typically hear about how we should cope with difficult seasons. Again, you can look up Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1, and all those biblical principles are true. That in the midst of difficulties, we need to be patient. In the midst of difficulties, we need to endure because suffering produces endurance. Endurance is character, character, hope. Or in James chapter 1, it says that suffering produces steadfastness. And steadfastness is what enables our faith to be refined. So we need to be patient. We need to be mature. We need to submit to what God is doing. Even as our sister Angela prayed, God's ways are higher than our ways. So we need to be submissive. We need to be at peace. We need to accept the situation. And in many ways, those things are absolutely true. They are clearly emphasized in the Bible. I'm not going to take away any of those things. But David, his prayer is a little bit different in Psalm 70. His prayer is not, allow me to be patient, allow me to endure. Thank you that you're using this difficult season so that I can become more mature. And I recognize that your wisdom is higher than mine. No, David is praying a very open prayer. He is making no pretensions about it. He's not trying to be holy. He's not trying to be theologically sound. He's not trying to be biblically mature. He just say, make haste. He's telling God Almighty, make haste. Hurry up. You're taking too long. Do not delay. Help me. Deliver me. Get me out of this mess. And it's not like David didn't understand the principles behind Romans 5 and James 1, where difficulties do give us a deeper appreciation, awareness, experience of God's faithfulness. Because we see David write about that in other Psalms. But in Psalm 70, what God is trying to articulate, and what David is expressing, is in this relationship with God, there is room for us to be brutally honest before Him. We don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. We don't have to try to make sure that our prayers are, are seasoned and mature. But we can just be vulnerable open, direct, and honest before God. And that's exactly what we see here. And let me tell you, whenever we ourselves, I mean, I'm sure many of us can relate with this. Whenever we experience these type of seasons, don't they always feel longer than they should? Doesn't it always feel like, man, I can't believe I have to go through another one. And don't we have this tendency where we feel like, oh, God, God, please just get me out of this mess. And many times we think, oh, I can't pray that prayer because it's not mature. But for David, he prays this type of prayer. And even for myself, I can definitely relate with this type of prayer. 
as I shared with you over the past few weeks, yeah, this has been a very stressful time, even in my own life, just being a little bit vulnerable. Um, I mentioned to you about my PhD committee, and yeah, I have received an update. Interestingly enough, this past week, I received an email from my committee uh, a, li- a little earlier than I expected, and on a parallel development is I had also submitted a manuscript for a journal publication that's related to my PhD research. And I heard back from them on the same day, much earlier than expected. So I get both responses on the same day unexpectedly. Um, and again, I just feel like, wow, God is really sovereign. And I'm opening up these emails, well, not opening up the emails, but I'm clicking on the email and I'm wondering, you know, what is it? I'm a little anxious. And both of them basically say the same thing, believe it or not. And both of them give me the green light, which by all accounts, I should be thankful for that, especially with journal publications. That's pretty much realistically the best case scenario. But as I was reading the comments for both, for my dissertation and for this journal manuscript submission, man, the comments are very good, but I know I have a lot of work to do. Uh, So I have an invitation to revise and to resubmit which again, I should be thankful for. But as I'm reading through the comments, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's like at least another five books that I need to read. Wow, that's like another body of research that I need to really get a hold of and make sure that I'm able to assess and articulate in a very nuanced way. And I'm just calculating, that's a lot of hours. A lot of hours. And honestly speaking, when I first saw that email, my initial reaction Uh, Some of you guys were there when I had that initial reaction is I was a little deflated because I wanted either a clean rejection so I can just move on with my life or I just wanted a clean acceptance. So again, I don't have to put in the extra work. Uh, I'll be honest. I feel like right now I'm in a season where I'm just asking God, make haste, deliver me, please just get me out of this mess. I'm tired of this emotionally, mentally, intellectually. I just want to move on. And can we pray these type of prayers before God? David obviously did, and the people of Israel obviously did. But can we be this honest? Well, Psalm 70 gets even worse or better, however you want to take it. Let's take a look. Because David is not only open, but man, he is borderline brazen to the point where he's a little malicious. Let's take a look in verse 2 to 3. So apparently as David was... Thinking about this psalm, praying through this psalm, he was experiencing a lot of adversity. And there were, I guess, these enemies or his opponents. And let's see how he prays for them. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. And yes, we see that his honesty, David's vulnerability, his rawness, takes another level or he is actually praying curses against his enemies. Theologians or biblical scholars would call these imprecatory psalms where he is literally praying harm, malice upon his enemies. And yes, many of us can relate. I mean, if somebody is really seeking your life, obviously this is your natural response. So in some ways it's justified. But when we again look at the broader picture of scripture, of the whole counsel of God, we know that this isn't the most biblically sound prayer. 
We know in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself says, you need to love your enemies. You need to bless them. You need to pray for them. We see this in Romans chapter 12 repeated. We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1. It's scattered throughout scripture where we are supposed to love, pray, bless those who persecute us, even our own enemies. And yet, and we even see an example in David where he responds to one of his enemies, his persecutors. Um, I forget the exact passage, but this is when he was running from Absalom. Um, No, Saul. He was running from, no, he was running from Absalom because he was already king at the time. And Shimei was cursing at David. And David responds with such nobleness and generosity. He does not hate Shimei, but instead he responds with much graciousness. But here in Psalm 70, man, David is being a little brazen with this prayer. I mean, this prayer is a little malicious. He's praying for shame, confusion, destruction, dishonor against his enemies. He's not thinking about Sermon on the Mount. He's not thinking about turn your other cheek. He's saying, let these people get what they deserve. And many times we have to ask ourselves, can we pray like this as well? Um, And in case you're wondering, this is not an isolated incident in Psalm 70. Uh, Jesus himself prays a curse against the fig tree in Psalm 137. I don't know if we're going to be able to preach on 137 in this sermon series. I really hope so because it's a, it's a very eye-opening psalm. And it's also very relevant to us because it talks about how the people of Israel, they're in captivity. How can they still worship? And I think many of us, we feel like we're also in captivity. How can we worship in this setting? But Psalm 137.9, there is one verse. Again, this is an imprecatory prayer, a prayer of curse. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones, and he's referring to the little ones of the Babylonians, and dashes them against the rock. This is in the Bible. One of the Psalms, you can look it up. And this is a pretty accurate translation to the original Hebrew. And why do we have these type of Psalms in Scripture that are prayed by David, that are prayed by the people of Israel? And it's because the type of relationship that David had with God The type of relationship that Israel had with God was one where they can be openly, raw, direct, and honest before God. Yes, as we learned last week, Psalm 46, God is holy. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the one who's sovereign over desolations. He's the one who's sovereign over world peace. Everything, everything that happens in the world is by His sovereign hand. He is holy and majestic. He is so grand. But at the same time, He is so near to us. And the way that he related with David, the way that he related with the people of Israel was in such a way where these type of prayers that we would be ashamed to pray. I mean, if you heard one of these type of prayers in the congregational prayer, many of us will feel uneasy. And I'm not encouraging us to pray like this in our congregational prayer. But what we do see is the relationship that David and Israel had with God is, wow, they could just be brutally honest. They could cry if they want to. They can say, make haste, you're taking too long. They can say things like, God, curse my enemies. Do something about my situation. And we're going to learn a little bit more about why that is. What does that say about the character of God? And how does that relate and apply to us? Because I know many of us, we have no direct descent or line from David or even to Israel. 
Uh, the last part of Psalm 70 is, even though David has not experienced deliverance yet, he still says, may all who seek you, God, rejoice and be glad in you. He recognizes, yes, this season that he's experiencing, a lot longer than he prefers. Yes, it is very stressful. Yes, he doesn't know when things are going to turn around. He doesn't quite see the light under the tunnel. That's why he's constantly saying, make haste, do not delay. But at the same time, within this same prayer, this is not a verse from a different prayer. This is all Psalm 70. He still recognizes everybody who seeks you, even in spite of this situation, they can rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. God is amazing. There is this joy that is impervious to even the most difficulties, even the most stressful situations. And David is experiencing this all in the same psalm. And we have to once again wonder, what makes David be able to pray this type of prayer? On the one hand, he is just so honest to the point where it sounds a little rude. It sounds a little impious. It sounds a little, doesn't seem very righteous. And on the other hand, he has this faith that he recognizes that despite the storms, that there is rejoicing, there is gladness, there is greatness in God. And we get a clue into this because verse five, he says, but I am poor and needy. So David essentially is saying, it's not because he is a good believer. It's not because he's a faithful Israelite or a faithful Christian or whatever, that he is able to pray these open prayers and be honest before God, borderline a little malicious, a little theologically, biblically kind of questionable. And at the same time, it's not because he has this great faith that he's able to rejoice and be glad in God despite the circumstances. Because he himself confesses that he is poor and needy. And this, all of this, all the Psalms, all the blessings, all the openness, all the privileges that David and the people of Israel had before God was not because Israel was a great nation, was not because David himself was inherently righteous, but was because God is committed to having a loving relationship with David and the people of Israel. Uh, I've mentioned this before. Theologians call this the term covenant. I don't like to use the word covenant uh, in a church setting because I know there may be people who might not understand all the implications underneath covenant, but covenant is a beautiful concept. Um, covenant is not the way we use the word where it's almost a synonym to a contract, where there is an agreement between two or more parties and everybody has to live up to his or her end of the covenant or contract. There are expectations and obligations. And once one party fails to fulfill his or her expectations or obligations, boom, the covenant, the contract is null, void, broken. Um... That's not quite the way the biblical covenant works because it's not really reciprocal. In the biblical covenant, it is God unilaterally choosing Israel while they were poor and needy, while they were weak and few in number, while they were a nation of slaves. 
choosing them and being committed, saying, I am committed to loving you, being involved in your life, and I will bless you. And this is in spite of all the repeated failures, rebellion, sin of Israel. And God makes a specific covenant, not just to the people of Israel, but specifically to David. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where he is committed to not only blessing David, but blessing his entire lineage, all of his descendants down to future generations. And because of this covenant, and again, I would much rather use the phrase, his committed love towards Israel, his committed love towards David. David and Israel, they can pray these type of prayers. They can be very open, direct, honest, maybe even borderline disrespectful, saying, make haste, do not delay. Maybe a borderline malicious, put my enemies to shame. And they can also have this confidence that in the midst of the storm, that they can still experience the rejoicing, the gladness, the greatness of God. It's not because David was holy. It's not because the people of Israel was holy. It was because God established this covenant or he was committed to loving the people of Israel and David. Now, many of us were wondering, so what does this have to do with us? Can we pray Psalm 70? Because like I mentioned, hardly any one of us has any type of lineage to the people of Israel or to the line of David. But we see, again, in all the scripture, that God not only made a covenant to the people of Israel, God not only made a covenant to David specifically, but eventually God made a new covenant with Jesus Christ. And this covenant, this new covenant, is because Jesus died for our sin, and because He resurrected so His Spirit is alive in us, all the benefits all the blessings, all the privileges that David, the people of Israel enjoyed, we can enjoy those in a maximal level that they would have never dreamt of. So because we are now in Christ by virtue of what Jesus has done for us, this same affection, this same committed love that God had towards David, towards the people of Israel, is now the same type of love, same type of committed, intense, unwavering, uncompromising faithfulness that God has for us. And therefore, as we do, unfortunately, have to experience difficulties. And yes, Romans 5, James chapter 1, those things are true. These difficulties will refine us, will make us more like Jesus Christ. All those things are true. But in moments where we don't want to really think about that, and we are just so overwhelmed or just so discouraged, or just so frustrated, we can pray a prayer like Psalm 70 because of what Jesus has done for us. We can pray, God, you're taking too long. We can be open and honest. We can pray these prayers that we would be ashamed of praying in front of other people. But before God, because of this covenant, because he is so committed to loving us, not based on our own righteousness, because again, just like David, we are poor and needy, we are sinful, but based on the righteousness of Jesus, We can cry if we want to. It's his name that we pray. It's his righteousness that we claim. That has opened us direct access where we can cry if we want to. 
So just as a quick recap, um, first thing is we can pray selfish prayers like in Psalm 70 or Psalm 137. We don't have to always try to be so mature and biblically and theologically sound and seasoned and whatever. No, we can just be direct and honest. Why? Because God is committed to loving us in Christ Jesus. If you want to use the term covenant, then so be it. But again, it's not reciprocal. It is God just being committed to us because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and what His Spirit is currently doing in our hearts. And therefore, it is in this committed love that God has for us that enables us to experience God's joy, gladness, greatness, and refuge in all the wonderful blessings and privileges that we see that the Psalms touches upon. I mean, just imagine, yes, I understand these seasons are difficult, but despite me being a sinner, despite us being poor, despite you being needy, we have God's committed love towards us. As we talked about last week in Psalm 46, He is the Lord of hosts. He is the one who is in charge of everything, and yet His attention is upon you. Upon the daily struggles, the anxieties, the frustrations, whatever is besetting you, God cares. And because of what Jesus has done, we can pray a prayer like Psalm 70. What are some practical implications is, as I've been sharing, we need to pray more. I think for many of us, for whatever reason, our Christian life is very lopsided. It's very intellectually based. It's all about consuming more material, whether it's a sermon or whether it's a Bible reading plan. And all those things are great. Obviously, like sermons, the Bible reading plan, this is the word of God, bread of life. Like all those things are necessary. But another aspect of the way we relate with God is we need to pray. We need to just be, have those moments where we just pour out our hearts just like Psalm 70. And that's one of the reasons why I think about a month ago, we introduced Tuesday night. Our worship drop-in is going to be focused on prayer. Where you can just pour out your heart. You can just be honest, raw, brazen, just like David. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Again, tomorrow morning, Monday morning prayer, 7 a.m. The best way, not only to start the day, but to start your week. Is to pour out your heart. Many of us, we are struggling. Many of us have things that are causing us much grief. There are prayers that need to be prayed for our loved ones. There are prayers that need to be prayed for our family situations. Some of us are expecting. Some of us are going through transitions at work. Some of us are being overwhelmed. Some of us feel so busy. In your business, that is all the more reason why we need to pray and rely upon God. And draw upon His strength. He is our help. He is our deliverer. He is our fortress. We can't trust in ourselves. So one of the things that we are trying to do here in our uptown community is yes, especially with the social physical distancing, I think a lot of our Christian life has unfortunately been reduced to just consuming content and intellectual content. And that's good. I'm not saying we should forsake that. But we need to supplement that with moments where we can do what Psalm 70 is doing. I mean, just imagine the tragic irony of us going through a sermon series on Psalms, which are really prayers and praises, and yet we are not praying and praising God more in our everyday lives. And that is probably the most hypocritical and most tragically ironic way of going through the sermon series. 
So brothers and sisters, one very practical implication to all of this is I wholeheartedly encourage. I expect our Tuesday night, our Monday morning prayer to be jam-packed because who doesn't have things to pray for? Who doesn't have a loved one that needs to encounter Jesus? Who doesn't have some type of ailment? Who doesn't have some type of stress? Who doesn't have some type of transition that we need to surrender to God? Where we definitely need to ask God, make haste, do not delay. All of this privilege of prayer has been purchased by the sacrificial blood of Jesus. Are we taking advantage of it? Are we making most of it? Are we honoring the death and sacrifice of Jesus by praying like Psalm 70 and maximizing this gift of prayer? Uh, So at this point, we're going to wrap up this message. Um, And in this Sunday service, uh, it's not as conducive for us to really pour out our hearts. That's more for Monday morning and Tuesday night. But we will spend some time here just praying and just really discerning what the Spirit is placing on our hearts. Uh, At the same time, I do want to alert us to questions and prayers. If there are any prayer requests, if there are any prayers that you would like to pray for, uh, I still think about that one text message that we prayed for, for that one family, going through all those transitions. Uh, I still think about individuals who have been reaching out to me throughout the week, asking for prayer. Uh, This is a great opportunity where we can pray as a unified body of Christ for the different things that you're going through. Or if you want to text a prayer for yourself, that you yourself want to write, whether it's for your situation or for our community or for our world or for Rhea or for what's happening for Pastor Jamie or OMC, then this is a really appropriate way for us to respond. Or if you have any questions about the sermon or anything else. Uh, For the rest of us, uh, I just want to give us an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to us. So again, if we can just get in a posture of worship and a posture of submission, whether you want to stand up, whether you want to place your hand over your heart, whether you want to lift up your hand. And Psalm 70 makes it clear, wow, we have direct access to God. We can be open, we can be vulnerable. We don't have to try to sugarcoat our prayers. We don't have to try to stick to a formula. We can just be so raw before God and it's because of what Jesus has done for us. Are we making most of Jesus' sacrifice? Or did he shed his blood in vain where we are still living our lives depending upon ourselves instead of depending upon him? Where we're praying really empty prayers of just trying to sound right instead of praying open, raw prayers where we're able to pour out our heart and soul before God. And in the midst of our difficulties, I want to remind us Because of this salvation, as David talks about in verse 4, we can say that God is great. Even though we are poor and needy, this God is still committed to loving us, making us more like Jesus, hearing our prayers. Every prayer that we pray in the name of Jesus, He hears, He answers. It's His name. And we can cry if we want to. We can be honest and open. So I just want to give us an opportunity to just respond to what the Holy Spirit may be placing on our hearts before we move into the next part of our worship.
Uh, as we are praying, uh, one thing that I feel like the Spirit wants to place on some of our hearts is, yes, I do recognize that you feel poor and needy. Uh, you might feel very fragile, very vulnerable, very distant from God. But Psalm 70, I just want to make it crystal clear, reminds us that God is committed to you. You may lack faith. You may lack trust. But God is committed to loving you. You might feel inadequate. You might feel like you fall short of God's standards. But God is committed, not because of anything that you have done or anything that you will do or any potential that's within your heart, but simply because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you submit and believe that Jesus died for you and he rose again, he is committed to loving you. He is committed to making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. He is committed to using everything that happens in your life for your good, for your benefit. He is committed to making your life as meaningless as it seems to actually bring God much glory, much worship, even if you feel poor and needy. Please be encouraged. Maybe one way we can respond is allowing the Holy Spirit to really make this a conviction in our heart, not just something intellectually, but something that actually affects the way we live our lives. And again, this is where I say we need to pray more because that, that is one of the greatest benefits of prayer is taking what we've heard and really appropriating it so that it becomes a part of who we are and the way we live our lives. Uh, for others, I just want to give us an opportunity to pray for those who may feel like they need deliverances. Uh, let's pray for our missionaries. Let's pray for Pastor Jamie. Let's pray for that one family who messaged us last week. Um, let's pray for those who are hurting. So I just want to give us an opportunity for those who really need the Holy Spirit to comfort you. Pray, ask the Holy Spirit to give you that faith and trust and not in yourself, but in what Jesus has done for you. And for others, I just want to give us an opportunity to pray for those who need deliverances that God would truly be their help and their refuge during this time.